Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is, oh my gosh, I don't know the date. It's Wednesday night, whatever that is. It's probably Thursday morning for you. The NBA day just ended, which means uh, we can include the NBA weekly check-in. Uh, I'll be honest, I never ever, I, I very rarely say this, um, I, I try to be very positive and optimistic. I had a horrible day. I had the worst day I've had in so long. I had one of those days, it's like, it's 11.53 p.m., so it's it's Wednesday night, basically Thursday morning uh, where I live, and um, at 9 a.m. this morning, like over 14 hours ago now, I got, I went to the dentist, my lip, my face was numb for half of the day because I got a filling. And so all day I was like, blah, 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 like where your mouth just feels wrong and weird. And then I spent four hours at the uh, Department of Licensing trying to get an enhanced driver's license because I had, <laughs> they had a issue with their software. And they kept saying, it'll be a couple more minutes, we're almost done. It'll be a couple more minutes, we're almost done. Just a couple more minutes, we're almost done. Four hours later, I finally got my new driver's license. And really... I don't blame them. I think the joke's on me. I should have left. I don't know why I stayed there. Like, kept, like They kept stringing me along, and I kept going, oh, yeah, okay, I'll just stay here. I'll just keep writing. And I was working on the show and just – but the point is I'm not happy that I spent four hours sitting in a waiting room waiting for my driver's license. That doesn't feel good. So all in all, my mouth was numb. I waited in a waiting room for four hours. It was a bad day, like not, not how I wanted to spend my day. Um, I hope you had a great day, better day than I did. Uh, every once in a while, I think that just happens where I just want to rant about something, and there you go. Now you're updated on my life. Uh, you know who's not having a great time right now <laughs> is uh, Ron Rivera. Let's shift gears to that. The Panthers have fired their head coach, Ron Rivera. It was a very interesting move to me. The Panthers are right now 5-7. and seven, And there are two perspectives you can look at this from, two lenses you can take. There is the football perspective, and there is the business perspective. I was texting all my friends when this happened, uh, a couple guys who you know play in the NFL, an XFL guy. Uh, a guy who plays in college, and we have a group chat we were talking, and they're all like shocked. They're like, what the heck? How could this happen? They were so surprised. And me too, my knee-jerk reaction was, man, what the heck? You're going to fire Ron Rivera? Like, that's harsh. This guy took the Panthers to a Super Bowl. It felt disrespectful. Because in the football world, even if you're going to fire him, which you can do it if you want, but why not wait? Why not wait till the end of the year? That was my first reaction was, how about you just wait? You have four games left in the year. You're five and seven. Wait till the year ends. That's the football perspective. You, the football perspective tells you it's disrespectful to fire a coach with four games left when he's a good coach. He's respected. He's been there for nine years. Don't fire him midseason. That feels wrong. But the business perspective, when I thought about it that way, I was like, oh, there's a couple reasons why you fire Ron Rivera now. The reason why you fire Ron Rivera midseason with four games left in the year is number one, you get a jump start on the coaching search. You get the pick of the litter. What that means is, you know, when there's a, when a cat has kittens, for example, there's like six kittens. And if you get there first, you get whichever one you want. You're not taking away the, I hate to say this, like the sloppy seconds, the leftovers. And the Panthers said, we want the best coach on the market. We want whatever coach we want. We, don't, we would hate it if our coach got picked up by another team. The Panthers want the pick of the litter. They want whatever they want. They want to have the best possible chance at getting the coach they want. You got to remember the Panthers have a relatively new owner. David Tepper bought the Panthers in the summer of 2018. 
And uh, part of this is that, you know, there's, there's a side of you want to get your head coach and you want to get a jump start on that process so you can get out there first. The other part of this is that the Panthers are now running a stress test. Here's what that means. You ever watch Bar Rescue or um, Kitchen Nightmares? Whether the host is Gordon Ramsay or John Taffer, the host of the show who's trying to turn around a restaurant or turn around a, a, a bar wants to see the bar, the, the bartenders or the cooks in a high-stress situation. They fill the bar up. They fill the restaurant up, have a bunch of patrons say, how do you operate in chaos? How do you handle a bad situation when you are overloaded and have a lot on your plate? The Panthers organization is going through a stress test right now. They have four games left. They have a new owner, and everybody is being evaluated. Who handles the chaos? Who rises to the moment? What people, the players, the coaches, people in the front office, who is worthy of keeping in David Tepper's eyes? Everybody's being evaluated right now. It's a stress test for the Carolina Panthers. So why was Ron Rivera fired right now, number one? Is the Panthers want to be the first team out there looking for a coach. They want the pick of the litter. And then also, remember, it's a stress test. Everybody in that organization is being evaluated. Who handles chaos best? That was why Ron Rivera was fired now. Now, the Panthers need a new head coach. Uh, the reports are that the owner, one, one he, he has, he's had the franchise for two years. And he wanted to wait two years before really doing anything in, in the, his side on the football side. He changed the business side of things a lot and said, I, now it's my turn to put my hand in the cookie jar and have an influence on the football side. He does not want a culture that accepts mediocrity. They're also likely going to have to get a new quarterback. Remember, um, David Tepper, the new owner, did not draft Cam Newton. Cam Newton has been hurt all year. He's not, Cam Newton's not his guy. The same way Ron Rivera was not his guy. If you're going to fire Ron Rivera, you're probably not going to stick with Cam Newton either. And Kyle Allen, the quarterback right now, his play has fallen off significantly in the last couple of weeks. Um, the Panthers are 5-7. and seven. They've lost four straight. And I think the owner's going to want a complete reset. He's going to bring in a new coach. Obviously, he's also, I think, going to bring in a new quarterback. We're going to see a lot of change coming up ahead for the Carolina Panthers. Okay. Now, the question is, what's next for Ron Rivera? So in case you missed it, in case somehow, I don't know how, if you're listening to the podcast, I'm going to repeat something you've already heard. But for people that are new to this segment, I'm going to repeat it again. The Panthers just fired their head coach, Ron Rivera. The Panthers are currently 5-7. and seven. They have four games left in the year. And in my opinion, Ron Rivera is a quality coach. He once took the Carolina Panthers to a Super Bowl. And I think you just have to recognize here that the Panthers have a new owner, and Ron Rivera wasn't his guy. David Tepper, the new owner, was, you know, Ron Rivera was the coach he inherited, not the coach that he chose. But the point remains, the one important fact in everything I just said there is that I believe Ron Rivera can coach. I think he's a quality, solid coach in the NFL. He was in Carolina for nine years. He's not a bum. So the question is, where will he go next? That is the million-dollar question. A lot of people have suggested that he should go to Cleveland and be the Browns head coach. I don't like that option at all. I think that uh, Baker Mayfield needs an offensive-minded head coach. They have so many weapons on offense in Cleveland. I want to see Baker Mayfield get an offensive-minded head coach and develop him as a young quarterback. I don't want him to get a defensive-minded coach. That seems counterintuitive to me. So I, I don't want to see Ron Rivera in Cleveland for that reason. 
But I will also admit, if you're looking at the situation in Cleveland currently, Ron Rivera is definitely an upgrade over Freddie Kitchens. So we can acknowledge that. If they get Ron Rivera, it's not the end of the world. But I want to know what person is dealing with and managing Baker Mayfield on the offensive side of the ball. Now, some people say the Redskins. I personally would not touch the Redskins' job with a 10-foot pole. Ownership is a big problem there. I don't want to work for bad ownership if I'm a head coach. Maybe he'll be the Cowboys head coach, potentially. Okay, maybe. Interesting. Uh, They have some good defensive pieces. Ron Rivera is a defensive-minded guy. Now, I believe the best next spot for Ron Rivera, in my opinion, if I had to say, okay, Zach, you get to create storylines. We're going to pick a scenario for you. What does Ron Rivera do? I think Ron Rivera's best fit is with the New York Giants. Here's what stinks. Here's the unrealistic situation that cannot happen. On paper, the, if this is Madden, for example, here's what I would do. I would say, okay, Ron Rivera, you're the new head coach of the New York Giants. We're going to demote the current head coach of the New York Giants down to offensive coordinator. Pat Shermer, the, you're the offensive coordinator. Ron Rivera, you're the head coach. You manage the defense. Pat Shermer, you manage the offense. Hey, that would be awesome if Madden was real life and we didn't have to worry about feelings and egos and all this other stuff. The reason why that cannot happen, you cannot just demote Pat Shermer, the Giants head coach, and make Ron Rivera head coach, but keep Pat Shermer is, from a leadership standpoint, it's too difficult. That'd be too weird. It's like, uh, hey, you used to, I'm Pat Shermer. You used to follow me. Now I'm still here, but you should follow that other guy instead. It, it doesn't, it, I, it's not possible. It's not going to work. Now, maybe Giants fans just want to fire Pat Shermer outright. Fair enough. I think that's a bad move. You have Daniel Jones, a young quarterback, a rookie quarterback in New York, who's got a year in with Pat Shermer. They're building together. They're working together. I would not get rid of his head coach right now. So here's the next best option if you're me. Here's what I would do. Currently, Pat Shermer's the head coach of the Giants. I think you can't change that. I think I've really, I know people get mad at me. They hate me. I think it's a bad move because I think for the young quarterback's sake, changing his offense after one year is, is not smart for any young quarterback. Now, if I'm the Giants, I do everything I possibly can to bring in Ron Rivera as the defensive coordinator. I do whatever it takes, whatever money it takes, whatever promises I got to make. I want to bring in Pat. I want to bring in Ron Rivera as the defensive coordinator in New York. I don't know if they can sell him on that. You know, it's I'm for, for example, I I am my own boss right now. I don't have a person I answer to. I, Zach Shomler and my own boss. And it's amazing. I cannot imagine ever going back to work for somebody else. Having a boss would be awful and suffocating and terrible. And let me tell you, for Ron Rivera to go from head coach to defensive coordinator, that's a tough change. That's like, oh, man, to, to be demoted and now have to answer to somebody else? No, it's a little different. Head coach always answers to somebody, whether it's the owner or the general manager. Even as a head coach, you're still answering to somebody. That's why Ron Rivera was fired. I can't get fired. The only way I get fired at Strong Opinion Sports is if somehow our numbers die so badly, no one watches and I, I can't make any money. So I guess really the people listening are my boss. But Ron Rivera, head coach or defensive coordinator, has to answer to somebody. I think it's possible that he goes, okay, no matter what my job is, I could get fired and had to answer to somebody. I'll go to New York and be the defensive coordinator. I can work with that. And it's happened before. Vance Joseph is the Cardinals defensive coordinator. His last job was the Broncos head coach. He went from Broncos head coach, got fired, went to Arizona, He's a defensive coordinator there with Cliff Kingsbury. 
The Rams defensive coordinator, Wade Phillips, used to be the Cowboys head coach. Buccaneers defensive coordinator, Todd Bowles, his former job in 2018, he was the Jets head coach. Now this year in 2019, he's the Buccaneers defensive coordinator. It is not unheard of for a coach to go from being a head coach to to a coordinator, offensive or defense, on another team. Again, if I am the Giants, I do everything in my power to hire Ron Rivera as my defensive coordinator. Imagine the Giants, an offense run by Pat Shermer, a defense run by Ron Rivera. Oh my gosh, that's what you want. Pat Shermer has issues. He's not perfect. Um, But I think having Ron Rivera in the room with him as an advisor, as a consultant, as a, a partner working with him would really help button up the Giants a little bit. I love that idea. Pat Shermer, Ron Rivera together, working together in New York as the coordinators in New York as, with the Giants. I love that. And I would pay a lot of money if I was the New York Giants to bring in Ron Rivera as my defensive coordinator. Okay, let's shift gears to college football. I made a video at the beginning of the college football season. The title is Utah Will Not Win the Pac-12. <laughs> I recommend you go watch it in case you did not watch it and you don't want to. Uh, here is a brief clip from that video. Enjoy that now. Utah's defense is incredible. But eventually a good defense is going to slip up and have a bad game. They're going to give up like 35 points to some random team like UCLA. And you go, what? That's just how That's what happens. Every time I see a defensive-led team in college football, they slip up at some point and... They lose. When I look around the Pac-12, I think Oregon has a great chance to win the Pac-12. I think that's who that's one of the favorites I would give. Is I love Justin Herbert, their quarterback. Uh, I love their coach, Mario Cristobal. I really like what Oregon's doing in Eugene. I think they have a good chance to win the Pac-12. Utah's not the team I would pick to win the Pac-12. I like Utah. I've always loved Utah. Their program is great. But I do not believe that they are the team that will win the Pac-12 this year. Uh, on Friday, Utah will play Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. And that means I might be wrong. Oregon might lose. Utah might win. Therefore, Utah might win the Pac-12. And guess what? Oh, no, I might be wrong. It's the end of the world. How could I ever be wrong? I'm never wrong. I couldn't possibly handle being wrong. I'm wrong all the time. It's okay. I own it. It's fine with me. Uh, It's part of the job. Personally, I kind of hope, honestly, Utah does win. I like Utah a lot. I love their program. I went to Salt Lake City this year. I met some people there. I met Kyle Whittingham one time. He was very kind to me. I love the people of Utah. I love their program. I personally would be very happy if Utah won the Pac-12. Legitimately, like, totally cool. I don't mind being wrong. And there's a couple reasons my Utah prediction was off. I got one thing very, very right. I nailed one thing. I said that Utah would slip up. I said Utah is a defensive-led team, and that's a thing that happens with defensive-led teams. In fact, that is what happened. Utah lost to USC. In fact, they lost to USC's third-string quarterback. Utah had some injuries, but USC, again, had the third-string quarterback. Utah, USC, excuse me, made a bunch of offensive plays, big plays downfield. USC beat Utah at one point this year. And that's why Utah is 11-1. and I was right about that one thing. I am, I, I, this is just a fact. Defensive-led teams always have a game where they struggle and their defense struggles, and if the offense isn't good enough, 
they don't win. That is what happens with teams that are defensive-led. Here's where I miscalculated, though. (laughs) I figured that loss, that loss to USC, was going to hurt them more than it did. Let's look at the Pac-12 this year. University of Washington was not as good as I expected them to be. Their quarterback, Jacob Eason, who I think is a potential NFL quarterback, did not play as polished and as well as I expected him to play this year. He did not impress me. And Oregon, frankly, was not the juggernaut I expected them to be. So for that reason, Utah, 11-1, and is probably still likely to win the Pac-12. Hey, I can own that. I was wrong about that. And there's one person I have a hard time evaluating at Utah. It's their quarterback, Tyler Huntley. I always look at college football from an NFL perspective, and it hurts me in some cases, where uh, you know Tyler Huntley, the quarterback for Utah, is not an NFL quarterback. He doesn't have high-level anticipation. He doesn't throw the ball in a really tight windows. But what he does do is run really well and make good decisions. He throws to guys who are wide open. It works. Tyler Huntley is a very good college quarterback. He might work in the XFL. He's not an NFL quarterback. And so I got to acknowledge, I am a little bit, I I always look for NFL talent, and I got to remember, hey, not every quarterback is the next, I don't know, Sam Darnold or Baker, who's a good quarterback, those are not great. Uh, Not the next Tom Brady, for example, right? And not every quarterback is going to succeed in the NFL, but that doesn't mean they're not good college quarterbacks. Tyler Huntley's a good college quarterback. He's done a great job this year. I, I was there live when Washington State beat or lost to Utah. Excuse me, Utah beat Washington State. Tyler Huntley made a lot of plays down the stretch, and I was like, that's a, that's a good quarterback play, and I was impressed. So Friday night on ABC, Utah will play Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. I believe Utah is a better team. I hope they win. It would be very fun for me to be like, hey, I made this prediction at the beginning of the year. It turned out to be very, very wrong. Um, no, Oregon quarterback... Justin Herbert has a really big opportunity here. A lot of people in the NFL, NFL evaluators, have marked him to be a top 10 pick. They believe he's one of the best three quarterbacks available in the NFL draft coming up. He has a big opportunity here on Friday to prove how good he is against a really good Utah defense. How good is Justin Herbert? I think he'll be okay if he struggles and maybe his team isn't great, but really I would love to see, even if they lose... A really competitive, good game from Justin Herbert against this Utah defense. This is his opportunity to say, hey, this is why. Put my name down. This is why I, Justin Herbert, deserve to be a top pick in the NFL draft. This is his opportunity on Friday against a really good defense. I cannot wait to see how Justin Herbert plays. It's a fun matchup. I can't wait to watch. We have Friday. We have the Pac-12 championship game. And then right after that, we have the Lakers play the Blazers. It'll be fun. Uh, It's going to be a great weekend on Friday, I guess a great day of sports on Friday, and I recommend you watch the Pac-12 championship game. Okay, um, talking with my friends, the debate has become, should the college football playoff expand? Right now, they, they let four teams in. Should they allow eight teams instead of four? One of my buddies suggested that no... The college football playoff should not expand. He says that, look, the top three teams that are all undefeated, got Ohio State, Clemson, LSU, they're all 12-0. And he said, it's clear to me these three teams are better than all the other teams. He's like, there's not a clear fourth. He goes, you know, Baylor, 
Ohio, you know, Oklahoma, Utah. Like, we can't even find a fourth team. If we're struggling to find a fourth team, why would we expand and allow even more teams in? We can't even find four worthy teams. You want to make it eight? That's what my buddy said. This is why I, Zach Schaumler, want an eight-team playoff. I want a two-loss team to have a chance to play for something. Let's look at Clemson. Why is Clemson undefeated? I mean, they're a good team, sure, not taken away from that. But they have not played a team that is currently ranked. So far this year, they're going to play Virginia on Saturday. That's the only team on Clemson's schedule all year that is ranked right now. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. They almost lost to North Carolina 21 to 20. They beat Texas A&M by, you know, by 14 points, 24 to 10. Clemson's played in two close games all year. It's disgusting. You know, they played against University of Charlotte, the 49ers. You ever heard of them? Not many people have. In November, they played an FCS program, D1AA. They played Wofford. They played Wofford in November. That was on Clemson's schedule. And Clemson is rewarded for dominating a weak schedule. They're 12-0, everybody says. They're 12-0. They played nobody. It drives me nuts. I would love, you know what I'd really love to see? I would love to see Clemson play Alabama right now, next weekend. (laughs) Who wins that game? That's a great matchup. Are you confident Clemson dominates Alabama right now? Even with Alabama's backup quarterback? I'm not. I'm not. And the point is this. The current culture in college football is all about being undefeated at all costs. doesn't matter how you get there as long as you're 12-0. You're the top tier team. That's what matters. And so teams in college football make easier schedules so that they can dominate them. My suggestion is we should open it up. Instead of four teams, let's allow eight teams to get in. And let's end this culture that you have to be undefeated. You got to dominate a bad schedule. That's stupid. It's wrong. Look at the NFL right now. Teams play tougher schedules in the NFL. Look at the 49ers. Look at the Seahawks. Look at the Ravens. They're all 10 and 2. Nobody's undefeated, and we have amazing regular season games in the NFL. We had the Seahawks and 49ers went to overtime. It was incredible. Ravens, 49ers was so good. Seahawks, Vikings on Monday Night Football. It's incredible. Great football. And in November, nobody's playing Wofford. Nobody's playing an easy cupcake game in November in the NFL. Let's have, you know, I really, really want to see this. I really want to see an eight-team college football playoff. I want to encourage teams to make tougher schedules, schedule better games. And let's change the ranking system in college football so that it respects strength of schedule. That you can't get away with having, you know, you could, you could right now feasibly make Clemson fifth, you know, the fifth seed if there was an 18 playoff and let them in and say, hey, you get into the playoff, you, you won, you're 12-0, but your schedule sucks, we're making you the fifth seed. I'd be totally cool with that, but you can't do that because you're so limited, there's only four teams that are allowed in. I want a system that rewards teams for scheduling Tougher opponents. Look at Auburn. I feel bad for Auburn. If you're an Auburn fan, you're 9-3, and three, and you open the season with a 
neutral site game against Oregon. You win that game, big deal. Then you lose to LSU by three points. That's a tough loss. You play Georgia, you lose by a touchdown. You beat Alabama. If if I'm an Auburn fan right now, I am disgusted looking at Clemson's schedule. I go, man, are you kidding me? Let's have Clemson play LSU, Georgia, Florida, Oregon, and Alabama in the same season. Is Clemson still undefeated if they do that? I really want an eight-team playoff. I want to change the culture in college football. Instead of having it be about dominating an easy schedule, let's make it about having a tough schedule and having impressive wins. That's what I want. I want to have more teams in. I want it to be okay. I know this is a controversial thing. I don't want it to be all about being undefeated. I want it to be about quality wins. Can an eleven and two, can a nine and two team get in? That'd be cool to me. I'd like that. I really would enjoy that. Instead of this playing Wofford in November, I hate that. I'm not saying Auburn should get in. They lost to their good teams. They played. They lost to LSU. They lost to Georgia. But they had opportunities to win. And if Auburn was undefeated right now, easily they're the best team in the nation. Their schedule is so tough. What I'm saying is let's take a hard look at Clemson's schedule. Let's just look at Clemson. And can we acknowledge that's not what we want? I don't want to see a team playing Wofford in November and then getting rewarded. But for that, they won 59-14. to You want to reward that schedule? That's all I'm saying. I really, really want to see an expanded college football playoff. I want an 18 playoff. I want to let teams in when they lose tough games and they take risks and they take... They take chances and schedule tougher opponents. I want that to be okay. If you play a tough opponent in November and you lose, hey, that's okay. Let's have a rematch of that. I And I, what I also don't want to see is teams like, like Alabama right now is going to go to some bowl game and, and probably not care. Georgia at 11-1 is not going to make – they're going to be, I guess, 11-2. They're not going to make the college football playoff. Are they going to care about their bowl game? I hate watching teams that are really talented play in meaningless bowl games. I don't like that. I want an 18 playoff. I want teams to play in meaningful postseason games, and I want them to schedule tougher opponents during the regular season so we don't, we don't reward Clemson for scheduling nobody all year. Their toughest game was Texas A&M, who's unranked. I don't like that. I don't like the way we reward weak schedules in college football. My answer is, hey, let's expand the college football playoff and restructure the ranking system. Okay, I'm going to make a statement that is not a hot take. It's not controversial. It's just a fact. One of these five teams is going to win the Super Bowl. Either the 49ers, the Seahawks, the Saints, the Ravens, or the Patriots are going to win the Super Bowl. One of those five teams is going to win the Super Bowl. Again, that's not controversial. That's not a hot take. That's just a fact, in my opinion. I mean, I'm sure some irrational Cowboys fan will be mad. You forgot our team. We're 6-6. Six and six. We matter, too. Shut up. <laughs> Go away. We're 12 games into the year. You can tell by looking around who's good, who's not, who's got a chance to win the Super Bowl. Again, to me, it's those five teams. And I can admit, the weakest team I named in that list is the New England Patriots. I can acknowledge that. Uh, the reason why the Patriots made the cut, you know, this video was almost uh, the four teams that can win the Super Bowl. Instead, it's five, because I'm not going to discount the Patriots. I'm just not going to do it. Um, I have learned a simple lesson in the world of sports. There are two people you just do not discount. Never doubt Tom Brady, 
I never doubt LeBron James. I just don't do it. No matter how old they get, they seem to get better. It's very weird. Um, and so I'm, I'm not ready to count out the New England Patriots right now, despite the fact that, look, the Patriots have a great coach, a great defense, a quarterback who I like, and then a, a, a offensive line and receivers on the perimeter that cannot win matchups. They have problems. But the Patriots are the Patriots. I'm not going to discount them. Now, the other four teams are different. They have fewer problems. Number one, the Saints roster is not respected enough. Nobody respects how good the New Orleans Saints defense is. It's very weird to me. Uh, you got to remember, <laughs> two years in a row, the, the New Orleans Saints got robbed in the playoffs. They lost to the Minnesota Vikings in the Minneapolis Miracle. They lost last year in the playoffs on a should-have-been pass interference call. And this team is better than the last two years. They're better this year than they were two years ago, than they were last year. I understand Drew Brees is old, and people are like, well, Drew Brees is old. Is Drew Brees playing badly? Do you watch Drew Brees? He's not playing bad. I don't get it. He's aging, but also think about this. <laughs> they have a, a great front seven. They run the ball well. They have a great, a legendary Hall of Fame quarterback. And the Saints are probably going to have home field advantage throughout the playoffs. That's terrifying. You're going to go to New Orleans to the Superdome? Is it the Metrodome? Whatever the name of their dome is, the Mercedes-Benz Dome. You're going to go to New Orleans to play in their dome at their house, and you're going to beat them? Good luck. I don't know why more people aren't higher on the New Orleans Saints. I love their team. I love their roster, and they're going to get home field advantage. And to me, it's a gigantic advantage in the playoffs, especially for New Orleans. They have something special at home. Now, the 49ers are led by their defensive line, and they are scary. They have five first-round picks in their defensive line. Uh, they have built a good offensive line. They run the ball really, really well. They have a great defensive line. They dominate the line of scrimmage, and that, to me, is how you win in the NFL and how you win later in the year. If they play a cold-weather game, I'm really confident in the 49ers. Now, their quarterback position, Jimmy Garoppolo, is the question for the 49ers. They had a game against the Seahawks earlier this year. Jimmy Garoppolo had multiple turnovers. He kind of cost them a lot down the stretch. Quarterback is the 49ers' weakness. Now, the Seahawks are 10-2, and two, and for whatever reason, I don't really understand. For whatever reason, people really struggle to embrace the New England Patriots. Or, what, where did that come from? They struggle to embrace Russell Wilson. <laughs> I don't know what Patriots. My point is this. For whatever reason, I don't understand it. People have a hard time accepting and admitting how good Russell Wilson is. People for always, I don't understand whether it was a third-round pick or I don't know what it is. Nobody gives him the credit he deserves. In my opinion, he's arguably the best quarterback in the entire NFL. The, the, the Seahawks run the ball really well. They play great defense. They're well-coached. I love the Seahawks. I think they're a team, absolutely, that can win the Super Bowl and should be respected a little bit more. Now, the Ravens, they're also 10-2. and two. They are also special at quarterback with Lamar Jackson. They run the ball incredibly well. They dominate the line of scrimmage. They do a lot of stuff that you'll hear buzzwords that are important, but that's why this is how you win in the NFL. You do what the Seahawks are doing, a six offensive lineman dominating the line of scrimmage. You do what the Ravens are doing, running the ball incredibly well, using tight ends, dominating the line of scrimmage. Look at the 49ers dominating the line of scrimmage on defense. That's how they beat the Packers. They just got pressure over and over and over again. Aaron Rodgers couldn't do anything. Dominant teams in the line of scrimmage win because in bad weather in January, that's how you win in cold weather. Here's the one consistent thing. A couple things, actually. You have all these teams have a good defense and a good quarterback. 
and a great head coach. John Harbaugh, Pete Carroll, Kyle Shanahan, Sean Payton, Bill Belichick. Five great head coaches. And these are the five teams. One of these five teams will win the Super Bowl. The Patriots, the Ravens, the Seahawks, the 49ers, or the New Orleans Saints. And to me, that's not a controversial opinion. One of those five teams is going to win the Super Bowl. All right, um, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, actually, no, we're not going to take a break real quick. Real quick, before we take a break, I want you to put your imagination cap on. Just imagine the storylines. Just close your eyes. Actually, if you're driving, please do not. But imagine this. The storylines, if the Patriots played the 49ers in the Super Bowl, are unbelievable. There are three reunions that would happen. Three reunions that would be incredibly fun if the Patriots played the 49ers in the Super Bowl. Number one, it would be Kyle Shanahan against the Patriots in the Super Bowl again. Remember the last time Kyle Shanahan played the Patriots in the Super Bowl? He was the offensive coordinator for a little team called the Atlanta Falcons. He led the game 28-3, to and he lost. Oh, man. Redemption for that game would be really, really cool. And then you go, oh, who are, who's the 49ers quarterback? The 49ers quarterback is a former New England Patriots quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, who used to be Tom Brady's backup, who got traded out of New England to the 49ers. How cool would it be for him to play against his former team that chose Brady instead of him and then beating his team in the Super Bowl? And let's be very clear. If the 49ers play the Patriots in the Super Bowl, they would dominate. I think a lot of people, another storyline people were missing, if, if the 49ers played the Patriots in the Super Bowl, Patriots haters would have the best day of their lives. They would be so happy. Tom Brady would struggle. The 49ers, five first-round picks on their defensive line would dominate. Brady would do nothing. He would get suffocated all game. I think the 49ers would win by a lot, unless somehow the Patriots defense forced Jimmy Garoppolo to throw like six pick sixes and had a ton of points on defense. I think the 49ers would shellack the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl if that matchup came to play. Now, the third reunion, the third cool storyline, if somehow we got this ridiculous narrative and like fairy tale ending and the Patriots played the 49ers in the Super Bowl, remember that Richard Sherman plays for the 49ers. Who is Richard Sherman? Oh, he played defensive back for the Seattle Seahawks. And when he played for the Seahawks, they lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl where the Seahawks threw an interception on the one-yard line and gave up the lead. And it wasn't Richard Sherman's fault. And the rumor is that that loss destroyed the locker room in Seattle. It made Richard Sherman and the Legion of Boom not buy into all the, the stuff that Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll are selling with positivity and this and that. They got tired of it because they lost the Super Bowl because of their quarterback. Imagine the redemption for Richard Sherman to play the New England Patriots again in the Super Bowl. Think about the storylines. If we get 49ers Patriots in the Super Bowl, Kyle Shanahan, redemption for the 28-3 loss. Jimmy Garoppolo playing his former team. Richard Sherman getting redemption. And Patriots haters, who I am not one of them. I actually respect and like the Patriots. But Patriots haters would have a field day because the team they hate would get destroyed, and Tom Brady would look bad and get thrown into the turf a bunch. Tom Brady's on his back all game because of how good the 49ers defensive line is. If you like storylines, 
the Patriots 49ers is a Super Bowl that would give us a ton of incredibly fun storylines. All right, guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I am going to take a short break. When I return, we will talk about the Tennessee Titans, and we will do our weekly check-in with the NBA. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right. Oh, by the way, before I go to break, someone sends me messages all the time, and I've ignored it. I don't even mention it. But he always goes, hey, Josh, clearly there's a person, and he follows me on Patreon. And by the way, my Patreon is patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. So I am not sure how you follow me on Patreon and don't know my name. But he doesn't. He always calls me Josh. And I've never corrected him on it because it's like, I mean, it's kind of, I, what do you say? Like, my name is not Josh. My name is Zach. So to be very clear, my name is Zach Schaumler, and I will be right back. <laughs> All right, we are back. Um, We need to talk about the Tennessee Titans. Right now in the AFC playoff picture, the sixth seed is up for grabs. And it's coming down. Currently, to two football teams, the Pittsburgh Steelers or the Tennessee Titans. Both teams are 7-5, and five, and if the playoffs started today, in spite of the fact they have the same record, the nod would go to the Pittsburgh Steelers because they have a better record in conference games. The Pittsburgh Steelers are 6-3 and three in their conference in the AFC, and the Titans are 5-4. and four. Now, the Titans have four games left. They play at Oakland against the Raiders. They play the Texans Week 15. Week 16, they play the Saints. And then week 17, they play the Texans again for the second time in three weeks. Now, in my opinion, the Texans need to go 2-2 two and two at least in the next four games in order to make it into the playoffs. And they have a tough road ahead. Number one, they play the Saints, who are really good. They play at Oakland, which is a tough team, and another team in the playoff hunt. Oakland is 6-6. Six and six. The Titans are 7-5. and five. That's going to be a hard-fought, really tough game coming up this Sunday. Now, what's really fascinating to me, though, is the narrative that those final three games, they play the Texans twice and they play the Saints. Those last two weeks, they play against teams that could be resting their starters. Number one is there's a rumor in New Orleans right now that the Saints could rest their starters week 16 instead of week 17, the final game of the year. Now, traditionally in the NFL, you rest your starters, and once you've clinched a playoff spot, You don't play your starters in the final game of the year to rest them, to keep their bodies healthy, and so nothing bad happens. Now, the problem is, though, the argument people make is that when you rest your starters, you get out of sync. You don't play football for two weeks, then you go into the the next game, and you haven't played together in a while. And so the argument is maybe the Saints should rest their starters week 16 instead of week 17. So the week 17, you can play a game, get all your starters in, you stay in rhythm going into the playoffs. That's possible. So that's an advantage to the Titans if they play the backups for the Saints instead of the starting players for the Saints. Now, I also would point out that even if you're playing the Saints backups, you're still playing against Teddy Bridgewater, who's proven to be a pretty good quarterback. So it's not an easy just walkover win either. But here's a really more fascinating part. If, in fact, the playoffs shake out where the Houston Texans win the AFC South and they're the third seed in the AFC playoff picture, if the Texans are third and the Titans are sixth, what that would mean is that the first week in the wild card round of the playoffs, the Texans and the Titans would play each other week one around one of the playoffs in, tech, in, in uh, Houston. Here's why that's weird. <laughs> they play each other week 15, week 17, and then they, then they might play each other again the very next week in the first round of the playoffs. So you have to ask yourself, week 17, 
of the playoffs, and you're the Houston Texans, do you rest your starters against a team in your division, the Tennessee Titans, who are fighting for a playoff spot? Do you rest your starters, or do you play your starters? Because here's what you'll have to deal with. You play the Tennessee Titans, if you're the Texans, if they, in fact, make the playoffs. Then you would play them three times in four weeks. You want to play that team three times in four weeks? The Titans right now are hot. They're playing well. They run the ball well. They're good up front. Would you rather play the Tennessee Titans or the Pittsburgh Steelers who have like their third or fourth string quarterback? I, th- I think it's only their third string quarterback, but they have, they're on not a starting quarterback. They're missing a lot of players. Would you rather play the Pittsburgh Steelers or the Tennessee Titans right now? I'll take my chances playing Duck Hodge as the backup quarterback who's at least the third string quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Are the Texans going to rest their starters week 17? I don't think so. I wouldn't do that. And what's even more crazy is just think about this. If, if it does happen that you play them week 17 and you win, you get into the playoffs, you play the Texans again in the wild card round. That's just wild. How often does that happen? So I don't think, I think the point of all this is to say that I think the, the path into the playoffs for the Tennessee Titans is really, really tough. You're going to play against New Orleans, who's a really good football team. They might rest their starters. Even if they do that, that's tough. Then you play the Texans, who are not probably going to rest their starters week 17 because they want to keep you out of the playoffs, so they're going to bring in all they have week 17. Then you're playing the Raiders in Oakland, a really tough place to play, the Black Hole in Oakland, against a team that's fighting and scratching really hard, trying to stay alive in the playoff picture. There's no guarantee that the Titans make it into the playoffs. Now, personally, i got to say this. I really love what the Titans head coach, Mike Vrabel's done. I really, we'll talk about one of the decisions he made earlier in the year. Um, but I, I've really liked him for a long time. A lot of fans of the Titans don't like their head coach. A lot of Titans fans say, we're not a fan, we're not in on him. I don't understand it. I really, really like Mike Vrabel. Um, he is, I think his players love him. There's a video of them celebrating the locker room after beating the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday. And the way the team rallies around their coach is cool to me. And I think Mike Vrabel is a former player. And in the NFL, you're guys who are your year older men being coached by older men. And there's a different level. It's not like in high school, you look up to your coaches. In the NFL, you don't. It's more, it's more peer-to-peer than it is player down or player up, you know, coach down to player. And I think Mike Vrabel gets that and the way he relates to his players, they really respond to and really like. Now, the Titans made a move that is wild and really, really cool. In week six, they benched their starting quarterback, Marcus Mariota. Said, we're done. We're moving on. And week seven, they started a new guy, Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill, a former quarterback. He played for the Miami Dolphins. He was always pretty good, actually. He just was never healthy. He got hurt all the time, and it made him look worse than he was. But here's what's cool. Since benching Marcus Mariota and starting Ryan Tannehill, from week seven on, which is the first week they started Ryan Tannehill, the Tennessee Titans are 5-1. and one. They've only lost one game with Ryan Tannehill as their starting quarterback. That's cool. And this Titans team plays really good defense. They run the ball incredibly well with Derrick Henry. And Ryan Tannehill, their quarterback, is playing really safe, really efficient football. He will not make a decision that kills you. He takes care of the ball really well. He understands their team is led by their defense, and they run the ball well. Ryan Tannehill is playing phenomenally right now at quarterback, taking care of the ball, doing his job very well. 
And it's just interesting to me. If I'm a wild card team, would you rather, if I guess if I'm a, not a wild card team, if I'm a playoff team and that playing in that round, who would I rather play? The Pittsburgh Steelers or the Tennessee Titans? I would much rather play the Steelers and their third string quarterback than a really talented, rising Tennessee Titans team. I'm not, all, I'm not all in on the Titans. I don't know if they make the playoffs. I look at who they play, and I go, that's a tough schedule in the next four weeks. But I find myself rooting for the Tennessee Titans. I like what they have, and I like their pieces. So if you're keeping track of your Titans fan, these are what the Titans' next four games are. The Titans play at the Raiders. They play the Texans, the Saints, and at the Texans again week 17. Now the Steelers' final four games are at Arizona. They play the Buffalo Bills, who are a wildcard team most likely. They play at the Jets and at the Ravens. The Steelers don't have it easy either. At the Cardinals is tougher than you think. They have a good quarterback, a good coach. They're building something. They're probably going to lose to the Bills, who are a great football team. They play at the Jets, who's, you know, they're spotty, but the Jets at New York against the Jets is tougher than you think if you're Pittsburgh. And you're probably going to win Week 17 because my guess is the Ravens would rest their starters Week 17, although you never know. Because that's a team in their division. They might want to knock their team in their division out of the playoffs. So I don't know. I don't know who's going to get the sixth seed in the AFC playoff picture. But I will say this. If I had to pick who is the best team in the hunt in the AFC playoff picture, I would say the Titans are by far the best team that has the opportunity to get that sixth spot in the AFC playoff picture. I'm rooting for the Titans. I love them. I really am a fan of what they've done. Moving away from Marcus Mariota was a gutsy call that has worked out for them. And I really thought the Colts were going to get in, and the Titans proved, hey, they shellacked the Colts last week. They beat them. They proved the Titans are a better team than the Colts. If you're a Titans fan, I'd be excited. But understand, the road ahead is hard, but it's achievable. If you're a football fan, especially if you're a Titans fan, really pay attention. There's a really cool storyline with the Titans going on right now where they're fighting hard to make it into the playoffs, and you know what? They just might actually make it. All right. um, Let's do our weekly check-in on the NBA. I want to start in the Western Conference this week. If the playoffs started today in the the NBA, the number one seed would be the LA Lakers. They are 19-3. and They just crushed the Utah Jazz in Salt Lake City, 121-96. to LeBron literally has his shoes off with over two minutes left to go. He took his shoes off. He gave them to a fan. He's walking around in socks. Uh, the Lakers just look dominant, man. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I'm going to watch them play on Friday. Uh, they're going to play against the Portland Trailblazers. I'll be watching on TV. I'm going to record it. It'll be fun. But I cannot wait to watch them, like, sit down and really watch an entire Lakers game. Uh, they've been phenomenal this year. The number two seed is the L.A. Clippers. They are up from last week. They were the three seed last week. The Clippers are 16-6. and six. They are closing in on the Lakers, but the Lakers are keeping that lead and playing phenomenal basketball right now. In fact, the Lakers lost the other day and said, we're not going to lose two games in a row this year. That's not how we're going to operate. Interesting stuff. The three seed in the Western Conference is the Denver Nuggets. They're 13-5. and five. The Dallas Mavericks are the fourth seed. They're up a spot from last week. The Rockets are 13-7. and seven. They're the fifth seed. The Jazz are 12-10. and 10. They're the sixth seed. The Timberwolves are 10 and 10. They're the seventh seed. And the Phoenix Suns are the eighth seed in the Western Conference at 9 and 11. A team you got to pay attention to. The Blazers are climbing back up to relevancy. The Portland Trailblazers, they are now 9 and 13 
and the ninth seed currently in the Western Conference fighting their way back. They might make the playoffs. Who knows? A lot of year left, but they are fighting their way back and climbing up slowly in the seeding of the Western Conference. Number one, I want to talk about Zion Williamson in the Western Conference. Uh, he was a number one overall pick in the 2019 NBA draft. He has not played at all this year. He's out with a torn meniscus in his knee. And uh, he was originally expected to miss six to eight weeks. And the Pelicans just announced that they are pushing back the timetable. They said, for sure, he's not going to make it in that six to eight weeks window. He's going to be farther back than that. Interestingly, personally, very disappointing. Um, I love the Pelicans roster. They have J.J. Redick. Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, Drew Holiday. And at some point, we're going to get all that talent and all the young players to play together on the court at the same time. Unfortunately, right now, it's not going to be for a while. The Pelicans are 6-15. and 15. They are second to last in the West. And the truth is, honestly, that a 19-year-old rookie Zion Williamson is not going to get them over the hump and not going to solve all their problems. It just makes them more interesting and fun to watch, but they're not going to be a better basketball team. The Pelicans have a long way to go to learn and get better as a basketball team. But again, the minute they bring back Zion, I'm going to have fun with that. I'm going to watch. I'm going to enjoy it. And I really want to see if this young basketball team can build something together. Now, the Dallas Mavericks right now are playing great basketball. They've won nine of their last ten. They beat the Lakers a few days ago. And I'm really enjoying watching Luka Doncic. I really enjoy it. Um, They're only lost in the last ten games. They lost to the... Clippers and Luka Doncic was four for 14 shooting. He was 0 for 8 from three point range. They lost to the Clippers. That's the only loss they've had in the last 10 games. And Dallas, man, has been fun to watch. They just are. I want to now shift your attention, though, to the Houston Rockets. They had a bizarre game on Tuesday. The Rockets lost to the Spurs 135 to 133. And the Rockets blew a double-digit lead. They were up 22 points at one point in the second half, and they lost the basketball game. Now, there's a couple wild things that happened in this game, other than the one thing we'll get to, the reason why we're talking about it. First of all, out of nowhere, Lonnie Walker came off the bench and scored 28 points, a career-high 28 points. I believe, don't quote me on this, I believe Lonnie Walker had 22 points in the fourth quarter, which is unbelievable, just wild. But even more bizarre, and I understand that the, 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 the statistics are a little bit inflated because it was a game that went to double overtime, but still, listen to this. James Harden scored 50 points, and his team lost. <laughs> and not only that, he was 11 for 38 shooting. James Harden shot 28% on the night, scored 50 points shooting 28%, and lost. I'm not surprised they lost. That's a lot of shots to miss. That's not a good percentage at all. I understand. Look, double overtime, fine. But that's still a terrible shooting percentage. And then Russell Westbrook had an even worse shooting percentage. Russell Westbrook scored 19 points, but was 7 for 30 shooting. Russell Westbrook shot 23% on the night. That is awful. Awful. But here is why the weirdest part of all of this, the reason why we're talking about this game is that James Harden had a dunk that was ruled uh, not... Rule is not counting, is the way I would put it. He dunked the ball, it went through the net, and then flipped back around and went out of the net, like out of the top. And despite the fact that we have replay technology, you can easily see what happened. Somehow, 
The referee ruled this as not good. They said it went in and out, which doesn't count in the NBA. I don't understand how that's possible, but the NBA got it wrong, and the Rockets were screwed out of two extra points. And those two points would matter because this game went to double overtime. Those two points would have not gone to overtime, would have made the game not go to overtime, and would have had the Rockets winning the game. So there is a proposal right now that the Rockets and the 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 San Antonio Spurs, I hope I said that earlier, the San Antonio Spurs and the Rockets were playing. There's a proposal that they replay the final eight minutes of their basketball game on a later date. It's wild. This is weird to me. And if it, it, this really could happen. It's happened before, apparently, where teams have replayed parts of games. And so the Spurs and the Rockets play each other again on December 16th. And they could play their game and then play the final eight minutes of the next game and just just in two nights just play another extra eight minutes. It's wild to me. That could actually happen. That'd be so weird to me. So I, that's a wild storyline. I recommend you follow it. In a couple weeks from now, we could be talking about, hey, uh, that rematch happened. <laughs> and the Houston Rockets and San Antonio Spurs did play that final eight minutes over again. It's really possible that happens um, because the NBA screwed up and you know stole two points away from the Houston Rockets. That'd be wild to be interesting, and they could, in fact, do that. Pay attention to that storyline. That's a weird, interesting one. Now, let's go to the Eastern Conference. Not much has changed in the last week. If the playoffs started today in the Eastern Conference, the number one seed would be the Milwaukee Bucks. They're 19-3. and three. The Celtics are 15-5. and five. The Raptors are also 15-5. and five. The two teams have the same records, but the Celtics have the better— they've won a head-to-head matchup, so the Celtics get the nod— Ahead of the Raptors. That's why the Celtics are the two seed and the Raptors are the third seed, even though they're both 15 and 5. Now, there's a similar situation with the Miami, I guess the exact same situation with the Philadelphia 76ers and the Miami Heat. They are both 15 and 6, but the 76ers are the four seed, while the Heat are the fifth seed because the 76ers won the head to head matchup. Now, the sixth seed in the Western Conference, in the Eastern Conference, excuse me, the sixth seed is the Pacers. They're 14 and 7. The Nets are. The seventh seed, they're 11 and 10. And the Orlando Magic are 10 and 11, and the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. Now, the Miami Heat lost to Boston tonight. Uh, th- this, is, I, this is something that surprised me as controversial, but it was controversial, apparently. Uh, the Miami Heat lost to the Celtics 112 to 93, and they played without their head coach, Eric Spolstra. Eric Spolstra, the head coach of the Miami Heat went back to Miami to be with his family, be with his wife, because his wife was having their second child. And yet, you know, this is really, what, tell, what this tells me is that people on Twitter are so awful to literally criticize anything in the world. Um, but people were criticizing Eric Spolstra for going home to be with his wife while she had a baby. It's like, what the heck? That seems like something inappropriate that you can't criticize. Um, I definitely think Eric Spolstra did the right thing. The fact I have to say that's weird, but I do seem to have to say that. Uh, would you rather, what's more important? When you look back on your life, what are you going to remember and what's more important? What's more memorable? A December basketball game in a season of the NBA where you play 82 games, regular season games, or the birth of your child, which only happens once ever. It's pretty clear to me Eric Spolster did the right thing. The fact that anybody, there's no decision there. There's no, there's no controversy. It's weird people on Twitter were trying to make it into a controversy. I was like, you guys are awful people. What's going on? And again, it just tells me people will literally criticize anything on Twitter. Now, I also want to say personally that I watch this game. The Celtics are my favorite team to watch in the NBA. I enjoy it. 
Uh, there's a couple storylines that make me just like them. I really love Kemba Walker. I love his personality. I think it's cool. I think Kemba Walker's storyline, leaving Charlotte and going to Boston to try and win, that's cool and endearing to me. And I love the Celtics head coach, Brad Stevens. I loved him in, uh, at Butler in college. He was a college head coach at Butler. I remember watching March Madness with my dad, played at Nachos. Me and my dad were on the couch together watching Brad Stevens and Butler win in the the playoffs and, and uh, the NCAA tournament. It was just fun to me. Um, and it's really funny to me that the Celtics lost Kyrie Irving, their point guard, and they seem like a better basketball team, which is not, I guess it's not surprising to me. It's just interesting. You know, Kyrie Irving appears to be a lot of drama and a lot of chaos, and Kemba Walker is more of a guy who puts his head down and works. And that's a prediction I, I said at the beginning of the year, and it seems to be really playing out that way. Kemba Walker's a better fit for the Celtics than Kyrie Irving was, even though Kyrie Irving's probably a slightly better all-around player and a better scorer for sure. So I, I just think it's interesting that the Celtics look better with Kemba Walker than Kyrie Irving. Now, the final thing I want to say about the NBA, uh, on Friday, we have a great day of sports. We have the Pac-12 championship game. That's at 5 o'clock, or I guess 8 o'clock if you're on the East Coast. And then 7.30 West Coast time, 10.30 East Coast time, you have the LeBron James and the LA Lakers against the Portland Trailblazers on ESPN. If you're free on Friday night, I recommend you watch the game. I'll be watching them and record it and watch it a couple hours late. Because uh, I like skipping commercials, but I have nachos. It'll be midnight for me. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to have a great time. And so if you want to, you want to sit down on Friday night and watch something, I recommend go watch LeBron James and Anthony Davis square off against Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, guys, that is my weekly check-in number two on the NBA season. And again, that's all I have. I really appreciate you listening. Uh, I got one more segment I do at the end of every single podcast. If you're struggling please go get help. Um, Three years ago, my younger brother took his life. It was painful. It was awful. And I learned two painful lessons. Number one, if you're struggling, please go get help. Um, My brother never shared his struggles. I had no idea. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. If you're struggling, don't talk to somebody. Go reach out to somebody. Go get help. The other lesson I learned, though, in that horrible situation is that I didn't make it clear enough to my younger brother. I was there for him if he was struggling and having a hard time. So I encourage you, if you're listening, don't be afraid to tell the people in your life you love them, you care for them, and you're there for them if they're having a hard time. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I have, hope you have a great day. And uh, ba-dum, bum, bam. It is so late. It's, what time is it right now? <laughs> It's two in the morning. I'm ready to go to bed. But um, bum, bam, we are done.